Welcome to Columbus Perspective, a weekly public affairs presentation of The Fan. I'm Dave James. In a moment, I'll talk to someone with Nationwide Children's Hospital about its longtime efforts to improve the south side of Columbus near the hospital and its expansion into the Linden area on the north side to do the same. Courtesy of our sister station, WBNS 10 TV, Tracy Townsend covers a number of topics, including Ohio's U.S. Senate race that will be decided on Tuesday, the influence that abortion rights has on the election, the effort to regulate flavored tobacco in Columbus, and the struggles that workers at Ohio's juvenile correctional facilities say they're experiencing. And in about 45 minutes, Kate Burdett talks to a couple of leaders with City Year. It's a nonprofit in Columbus that employs young people for a year of community service. First up on Columbus Perspective, on the phone with me, Nick Jones. He's the vice president of community wellness at Nationwide Children's Hospital. How are you? Good. How are you, Dave? Good. Thanks for talking to us. Your position incorporates the Healthy Neighborhoods Healthy Families Initiative, which has been going on for years at Nationwide. What is that initiative? Yeah, thanks, Dave, for having me. So the Healthy Neighbors, Healthy Families Initiative is Nationwide Children's effort to really address what we know impacts children's health outcomes but aren't going to be addressed within the hospital walls. So, so there's five prongs to the Healthy Neighbors, Healthy Families Initiative. Affordable housing, economic development, community enrichment, wellness, and education. And what Nationwide Children's Hospital does is it works with partners and the community to address um, areas in those five prongs and really ensure that children's health outcomes um, are impacted because we know that up to 80% of a young person's health outcomes are determined by social and economic factors that occur outside of a hospital wall. So our goal really on the south side and now Linden communities is to have those community partnerships that brings together uh, partners and stakeholders um, to impact those five areas. So you started this initiative back in 2008 in a 52-block area of the south side that is within the footprint of your hospital, right? That's correct, yes. And so what has been happening down there? (laughs) A lot. (laughs) Um, and, And really, you know, Dave, I'll say first thanks to the leadership and partnership of Reverend John Edgar and Community Development for All People, uh, we have seen the South Side uh, really flourish in a way um, that you're starting to see a real mixed income and diverse community. One that now has had over 600 units of affordable housing impacted as a result of this Healthy Neighbors Healthy Families Initiative. Over 1,200 employees now who live on the South Side now called Nationwide Children's an employer. We've added a tax preparation program that's seen over a million dollars in tax returns be put back into the community uh, as, as part of a free tax preparation program um, that we've had uh, now over the last several years. So we've really seen the, the, the South Side really leverage its existing assets um, and, and really community work resources Um, to deal with a neighborhood that was going through and has been going through a lot of change and it being a downtown adjacent community. Um, And so our partnerships in particular with um, Reverend Edgar um, and Community Development for All People, the City of Columbus, United Way, um, have all brought about some great outcomes to date. 
I saw that one of the statistics was that uh, the vacancy rate has diminished by 50%. And if you're going to improve a neighborhood that drastically while maintaining affordable housing, that just seems like a tremendous challenge. It is. It's, it's a tremendous challenge and, and really, Dave, requires you know the type of public-private partnership um, that Healthy Neighborhoods, Healthy Families has been, um, you know, has really benefited from um, over the last almost 15 years. And that vacancy rate, you know, what I will say is at the time that we started our Healthy Neighborhoods, Healthy Families initiative, that area that we first started investing in, a little south of Livingston Avenue Elementary School, had the highest foreclosure rate um, uh, of any uh, census tract or area in the county at that time. And if you remember back in 2008, uh, that was really at the height of the foreclosure crisis that our country was going through. So to see that drastic uh, change and, and improvement um, in uh, you know bringing affordable, safe, quality housing um, to the south side has really been remarkable to be a part of. You know, that area, maybe it's easy for me to kind of... Uh compare it because I moved to Columbus in 1995 so I remember what that area looked like back in the in the 90s yeah. and it's unrecognizable I mean if, if people haven't driven down say Parsons Avenue in 20 years you, you wouldn't believe it that's that's right you know I, I think it's a great point Dave you know there are a lot of partners that have uh, really invested um, time and resources into the south side to really lift up the beautiful um, community it's always been, but really just um, had lacked access to resources um, over several decades that that did, you know, unfortunately create some um, uh, unfortunate uh, outcomes and and just kind of circumstances. And so uh, with with the investment of folks, even outside of Healthy Neighborhoods, Healthy Families, um, we have been able to lift up uh, those existing assets and resources and ensure that um, folks can make the decision to, to really stay and 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 realize all the the great change that's happening on the south side, but also if, if desirable to 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 move and and, uh, and and make that decision themselves. The, the point of our work, Dave, is that folks on the south side are able to make that decision themselves and not have that decision made for them because of the pressures of uh, the private market and whatever other investment might be going in there. Yeah, it's their neighborhood, so I would imagine any sort of initiative, and, and there's one now that you're involved with in the Linden area, and we'll talk about that in a second, but trust has got to be huge on that because anybody's gut reaction would be, wait a minute, what are you doing in my neighborhood? That's right. Um, you know, one of the things, Dave, that, that I always share with folks is that um, I don't live on the south side, and so, you know, when I drive home from um, the hospital, I'm going to a different community. The real change, the sustained change, um, and really, quite frankly, Dave, the input on change um, comes from the community and needs to be made by the community. And that's why we partner with the community to ensure that there is um, an effort to lift up what Nationwide Children's has to offer um, and and live out what the community wants to see um, in their neighborhoods. Uh, and that's why we have a partnership like the Good Neighbor Agreement that brings together civic associations and area commissions behind um, the curtain to really um, hear from the hospital and what we're doing, not just uh, with our Healthy Neighborhoods, Healthy Families work, but with our um, you know work overall at the hospital, but to learn from the community on how we can be a better neighbor and how we can be a better partner. 
and, and it really needs to come from our community members and our, our neighbors, quite honestly. We've been on the south side for over 130 years as an organization, uh, and that's, that's who we really need to link with and partner with uh, for the long-term uh, growth and sustainability of the south side. So the city's uh, involved in its project called One Linden. It's a community plan focusing on education and workforce, health and safety, housing, small business and retail and transportation, which sounds very similar to what you've been talking about. And now you're also involved in that area. That's right, Dave. You know, we were really excited to um, learn of and and, and be a part of uh, the One Linden plan process over the last, you know, really uh, five years now. Um, and um, really be a partner to help breathe life into uh, a plan that the, that the community drove and that the city certainly helped um, spearhead and, and, and convene. And so, um, you know, we certainly are taking what we've learned on the south side and, uh, you know, embedding some of that in our, in our work in Linden. But Linden is not a new community for us. We have had a primary care uh, location there on 11th and Cleveland Avenues for over 20 years. And we've been providing health services, Dave, uh, in the Linden area uh, for over 50 years. Um, And so it's a community, while we don't have our main campus necessarily um, in Linden, it's a community we've certainly been a part of um, over decades and are excited to now, um, you know, bring some of our Healthy Neighborhoods, Healthy Families resources to, to breathe life into that one Linden plan. So this is an area on the north side, roughly between I-71 and Cleveland Avenue. And you mentioned that the faith community was a big part of your south side efforts. Is that one of the areas where you started up that way? The faith-based community has certainly been um, a critical partner of ours as we started to um, really engage in healthy neighborhoods, healthy families in the Linden area. Um, there are a couple of groups that, you know, we've certainly tried to, um, you know, link with as, as well as build relationships with. Um, one is the Concerned Linden Clergy Group that, that encompasses um, several churches and faith-based organizations in Linden that have really been leaders in the Linden community uh, for, for decades. Um, and the second is New Salem Baptist Church and their affiliated Community Development Corporation, Community of Caring uh, Development Foundation. And that group really, Dave, has been instrumental, um, one, in kind of learning from uh, what they've been doing in the Linden community for decades and the relationships that they've uh, built and, and been entrusted with, with over decades. Um, but two, um, really saying, hey, how can we be um, a partner to you all and some of the visions and plans that you have um, uh, for the Linden community moving forward, especially as it relates to the One Linden Plan. And so uh, Adam Troy and certainly his brother uh, and Reverend uh, Keith Troy have been uh, great partners uh, for us early on, and I think what we're really looking forward to is building that uh, relationship and partnership um, so that we can serve the broader lending community um, in, a, in a robust way. Talking with Nick Jones, he's the Vice President of Community Wellness at Nationwide Children's Hospital. That incorporates the Healthy Neighborhoods, Healthy Families uh, initiative, which you were the director of when this all started. Obviously, the economic well-being of a, of a neighborhood is very vital, but so are the 
aspects of healthy living. And, you know, you've got you're talking about uh, neighborhoods that, you know, have the reputation of not being safe. It's not an area necessarily where all kids feel comfortable, maybe going down to the local playground and being out like that all the time. So I would imagine these are all efforts that have to kind of work in conjunction with each other. That's right. You know, I, I think um, w- what's important for us uh, at, at Nationwide Children's is to really lift up um, a lot of the existing efforts that are ongoing in the lending community that do try to create um, opportunities for young people and families to live out, again, their hopes, dreams, and aspirations. And, and one of those groups, Dave, um, is a group led by Mr. Ralph Carter called We Are Linden. Uh, which really is an effort to really lift up the beautiful community that Linden is, all that it has to offer, and to show the pride that folks in Linden um, over generations really have uh, for their community. Um, and what one of the things Ralph does um, is to, you know, really stamp out literally through walks that they do, but just kind of driving awareness, um, the issue of violence and youth violence in the community so that, you know, folks can really recognize um, Linden for what it is, which is which is really a, a lively, generation-laden type of community that, that has a lot of pride and a lot of great assets and resources. Um, but two, you know, draw awareness around um, healthy place. So he does an event, a block party every year that just happened um, in, in August uh, that really just lets kids have fun, play, um, have access to free food and vendors, um, and, and just have a great time. And I think, you know, those type of um, efforts and organizations are ones that we hope to continue to partner with and support um, as we build our relationship in Linden. And that's interesting because too often we only hear about neighborhoods when something tragic happens, when there's, uh, you know, some sort of a criminal element that has made news. And yet, you know, when you're talking about block parties, you know, we're not hearing about problems at block parties in Linden every weekend, you know, in the summertime. And obviously there's a lot of success going on there that we just don't hear about. That's right. And, you know, I I think, you know, um, at times, you know, unfortunately, we hear about maybe the one percent or two percent of of maybe, um, you know, things that happen in a community that maybe don't paint the community in in the the greatest or brightest of lights. But, you know, 99 percent of what happens in Linden is is, uh, extremely positive and worth uh, bringing out. There's been a lot of great, um, you know, stories and opportunities that, um, you know, I think have come out of Linden, you know, not just over the past couple of years, but over, you know, decades, um, just with, um, you know, all the great, you know, resources um, uh, and assets that Linden encompasses. You know, I think it's one of the reasons, Dave, why we uh, offer um, an initiative called Play Streets, where we shut down um, a street off of Cleveland Avenue every weekend over the summer and set up free healthy play um, and food uh, for kids so that they can just come out and be kids um, and you know jump around in bouncy houses, get a, get a free pizza, um, maybe stop by the ice cream truck that's there, uh, listen to some music by a local DJ, um, and really just be a kid and, and have a, a safe and healthy place to play, but really just um, you know, showcase all of the great families and kids that, that are in Linden uh, for everyone to see in a very visible type of way. You know, that kind of stuff is great, too, because you might have an 8 or 10-year-old who attends that thing who's uh, kind of looking around, really aware of what's happening, and someday that could be 
one of our city leaders. And, and that's, that's the hope. You know, I think the hope is to have as many opportunities and experiences for young people. I mean, we're a pediatric health care institution, so we are most passionate about um, our young people and, and them living healthy lives. And so I think we want to provide every single resource and service that we can um, so that they can live out their lives in the way that they were really destined to be and, and, and that they, they hope and, and dream of, of being. Um, and it's one of the reasons why we have a program, Upward Down Math and Science, uh, where we engage kids who will be the first in their families to graduate uh, from college um, in year-round college and career readiness program that not just exposes them uh, to all that college might have to offer, but also, um, you know, what happens after college and that, that job that you'll get, that career that you enter into, and not just as a, as a physician or a nurse, but you know, maybe someone in finance or someone who uh, works as a veterinarian in our research lab um, or, or someone that, um, you know, desires to be the CEO of, of Nationwide Children. So I think it's just providing those opportunities and those experiences um, that allows young people to really figure out um, what they want to be, who they want to be, um, and, and how they want to live out their lives in the future. And, and that could be the next mayor um, of Columbus. Who knows? Talking with Nick Jones, Vice President of Community Wellness at Nationwide Children's Hospital. So after all these years of uh, working on the South Side to develop these initiatives, what did you learn that you needed to uh, reverse gears on a little bit and change up? And what are you doing maybe a little bit different in Linden? Well, Dave, I think one of the big things that you've already called out is the importance of the relationships at the, the grassroots community um, level And while we've had, I think, great relationships um, over the years that folks like Angela Mingo and Carla Fontaine have built through our community relations department, I think we, we wanted to get even more proximate to the community, engage with even more um, you know, parents and, and, and young people, not just to kind of share what the hospital is doing or, or why we're there, but to also say, hey, how can the hospital be a better partner and also how can the hospital um, invest its resources maybe differently um, based on some of that feedback? And so we've established several advisory councils that is really helping not only hold us accountable for the work that we're doing in Linden, but helping guide the work um, over over the next five plus years. The one thing I'll say about Nationwide Children's Hospital, Dave, is that we don't um, you know, take um, investment in the Linden community lightly. It's something that if we commit to it, we're in for we're in um, for for the long term. And that's why the importance of these advisory councils and these um, you know neighborhood-based relationships are going to be so critical for us over the long term. Um, once all the shine and and lights of kind of a new effort wear off and fade. Um, it's really those those trusting and authentic relationships that we'll have built directly with the community that will sustain this work over the long term. And that's something uh, we've learned directly from our experience on the south side and are hoping to take to Linden now. Do you share a lot of information with the city with their One Linden effort as well to make sure that you're not duplicating or perhaps sending a different message to people than, than the city might be? Absolutely. The, the city is as critical, you know, quite honestly, partner as there gets, um, you know, because one, they've done the, the hard work of certainly establishing the One Linden plan and, and working and convening the city, but all the great work that 
um, the mayor and his team do, as well as um, the Department of Neighborhoods and others um, does, is it's it's very important for us to maintain um, an open, uh, trusting relationship with the city, um, so that we can, you know, really complement the great work that they um, have done and, and will do. And, and you know, that also includes uh, partnerships that we have with the city through our housing work. And we work very closely with. Um, several departments to to roll out that work to make sure that there's alignment. Um, so very important for us to to be in sync with um, folks um, at the city and 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 certainly to learn from the city and to ensure that we're being a good partner and filling a gap uh, where need be. The effort on the south side started in 2008, and that was right when a recession hit. And there's been a lot of talk that we're headed for a recession now, and certainly. Affordable housing is at a crisis point right now. So were there lessons learned? I mean, it seems like the times are almost similar in some ways to 2008 when you started the, the other project. That's right. Yeah, I, you know, Dave, I think it's there certainly were lessons learned. Whether we can, you know, act on some of those lessons um, based on uh, where we're potentially heading, you know, now, um, I think it's to be determined. I, I will say um, you know, one of the, the lessons that we did learn is that um, this work cannot be dependent on one resource, one financial resource, that it takes a variety of partners to make this uh, an economically, you know, feasible type of project. And we all know that the housing um, shortage that we have in our community, whether it's affordable or not, is something that's going to require a, a, an all-hands on deck um, approach. And so, um, you know, it's, it's one that we've certainly thought about longitudinally um, as we look at the partners that we engage to, to help finance this work um, in the housing space. Um, but I think, you know, we, we, would, we would not be honest if we didn't say that there's always concerns with, you know, how the economy goes and the impact that that's ultimately going to have on families having access to affordable housing. So more reason for um, efforts like Healthy Neighborhoods, Healthy Families, and the public-private partnerships that we have in place um, to be able to mitigate some of the impact that a potential recession might have on a community like Linden or just in Columbus in general. Talking with Nick Jones, he's the Vice President of Community Wellness at Nationwide Children's Hospital. Anything else you'd like to add, Nick? I'd just like to say, you know, uh, that that Nationwide Children's is is very fortunate, uh, Dave, to be a partner in both the South Side and Linden um, with a variety of partners, some of whom I didn't even name. But, you know, we could not do this work without those partners um, and most importantly, the, the community members and leaders who live in, in those two communities. So uh, very thankful for their partnership and, and for the trust that, that they have in us. And, uh, and I want to thank you, Dave, for giving me an opportunity to speak more about our work. Thanks so much. And, and I did want to ask, can people at all get involved? I mean, are you looking for people to kind of dig in in the Linden area and, and get engaged in the community? And, and also, where can folks find out more information about your initiative? Yeah, we're we're always looking for for more partners, and and you know, Dave, there's there's certainly opportunity to get engaged from, um, you know, volunteer to, to other type of um, supports. Uh, you can certainly go to our nationwide children's dot uh, website uh, and find our healthy neighborhoods, healthy families initiative that will have contact information on there, um, and we'd be happy to connect with anyone who has an interest. 
um, or, or link anyone who um, needs uh, linkage to other resources so that we can continue to support the communities we're in. Okay, Nick Jones with Nationwide Children's Hospital. Thanks so much for your time and good luck with all these efforts. Thanks so much, Dave. I appreciate the opportunity. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Courtesy of our sister station, WBNS 10 TV, here's Tracy Townsend from her Sunday morning public affairs program, Face the State. A new edition can be seen this morning at 1130 on 10 TV. Thanks so much for joining us here on Face of the State. I'm Tracy Townsend. The race to win, of o- win one of Ohio's two seats in the United States Senate, it's a close one. It's pitting newcomer Republican J.D. Vance against Democratic Congressman Tim Ryan. Let's take a look at some polling. Suffolk University's most recent poll shows Vance leading by two percentage points. Both candidates made stops in Ohio all week. We wanted to know the issues that are hot top of mind for voters. 10TV's Kevin Landers took that question to the streets. We wanted to gauge where the issues facing Ohioans rank among those who plan to vote in November. And the cost of health care, I think, is really astronomical. Two candidates vying for their votes for a seat in Congress are J.D. Vance. I think your family deserves to go to the grocery store and not have it break the bank, not have it ruin your bank account because you want to buy a nice meal for your kids to have on a Friday night. His challenger is Tim Ryan, also promising a better future for Ohioans. Cutting taxes for workers, making sure we dominate the industries of the future. We set out with pen in hand to ask people to rank these issues they feel are most important. We asked them to rank eight issues from the cost of housing, increasing at a really alarming rate, health care, violent crime was my number one, to abortion and the cost of gas. For some of us that commute to work every day, um, we got to make sure that we have affordable gas prices. So how did our small sample of voters rank the issues from highest priority to the lowest? Cost of food is high. Food prices rank as the third most important issue to our sample voters. The price of food is up 13% from last year. Ranking number two on our list was abortion. J.D. Vance supports an abortion ban. Tim Ryan supports a woman's right to choose. For me personally, abortion is the biggest issue. The right to life is, you know, something that's really important to me. The number one issue that voters felt was the most important was the cost of housing. Even making $50,000 a year, I can't afford housing. And the interest rates make it extremely difficult to invest in property. Mortgage rates have more than doubled this year. The average rate on a typical 30-year mortgage rose this week to 6.94% from 6.92% last week. It's very important that everybody is given the opportunity to be able to own a home. While Vance and Ryan hammer away on immigration and the threat of China taking American jobs, neither of those issues resonated with voters we spoke with. That was 10TV's Kevin Landers talking with voters. We did talk about those issues that they think are important this midterm, health care, abortion, immigration, inflation. Now you will hear from where the candidates stand. 
we have a bad inflation problem in part because Joe Biden and Tim Ryan have passed a lot of spending bills. And when you spend money you don't have, you cause inflation to go up. You see it time and time again throughout history. And unfortunately, even a lot of left-wing economists said, if we pass these spending bills, we're going to get this inflation. Tim Ryan and Joe Biden didn't listen to them. And so we have to get back to some fiscal sanity in our country. Again, that'll help bring the cost down, too. Tax cut for working people, tax cut for small businesses. People are hurting. It's a reality. And uh, the gas prices, the food prices... Um, it's just making it very, very difficult for people, regardless of really where you're working, too. You could be in healthcare, uh, home health. You could be in construction. You're driving a lot. People are getting crushed, and, and we need uh, that money in their pockets. So I'm calling for a tax cut and have been for a while now. With the Senate race so close, we did ask both candidates what separates them from their opponent. I think the two biggest differences between me and Tim Ryan is, one, I think we need to you know, cut taxes for people and bring down the spending. And the other big difference is I really think that we have to get our southern border under control. The amount of fentanyl that's coming into our state, the amount of crime that's coming into our state because they refuse to close down that southern border. This is not rocket science. You just need a federal government to enforce its own border. Well, I'm an Ohio guy. You know, he left Ohio. He gave up on Ohio. And, you know, I understand what working people are going through in the state of Ohio. And you know, he said himself he's not comfortable in Ohio. He's a follower. I think if there's one thing, guy's a follower. He's following around the most extreme elements uh, in the political system today. And I'm a leader. I took on Nancy Pelosi. I've taken on Republicans. I, I'm, on, I'm here for Ohio. The race for Ohio seat in the U.S. Senate is getting some national focus, as you can imagine, including a headline in The New York Times. It says, quote, in Tim Ryan's Ohio Senate race, the D is often silent. We asked Ryan about that. It's true. I say I'm an American. I'm an American first. I'm an Ohioan second. And then we can get into our, you know, what political party. But if we don't get back to the idea that we're all Americans and we all have common cause, common purpose, uh, a common mission here to build a good society, build the great American middle class back up, give our kids an opportunity and, and hope for the future, what are we doing here? It's not about political parties. The night before the election, former President Donald Trump will be here in Ohio for a rally in Vandalia at the Dayton International Airport. The news team there released a statement saying that his goal is to energize voters and highlight Trump-endorsed candidates like J.D. Vance. Let's talk about early voting. It's underway in Ohio, as well as preparations for Election Day. 10TV's Richard Solomon checked in with the Franklin County Board of Elections. What takes months to prepare for only could take you a few minutes. Yes, just like that. Susan Henry is there every step of the way. She's been volunteering as a ballot judge with the Franklin County Board of Elections for the last several years. So many people get turned around because things are so new here. It's my job is to make sure that everything's on task, make sure they don't leave out of this building without voting. More than 100 voter machines fill this room, gearing up for Election Day. Henry is just one of nearly 50 workers here. For Election Day alone, they're wanting to recruit 5,000 poll workers. This to make sure Election Day runs smoothly. And Aaron Sellers with the Board of Elections says 
they're close to hitting that number. The faster that they can get in and get out, the, the more people that we can get in here to vote. He says they're expecting for more than 60,000 people in Franklin County to cast their vote at this location. This week we'll see a big increase in the number of voters. We're, we're thinking there'll be about at least 2,000 a day, and certainly that starts to ramp up uh, for this upcoming weekend. Sellers says they've been planning for this day for months, and it's fast approaching. Richard Solomon reporting for us. Leaders at the Delaware County Board of Elections say they are prepared for the midterm election. So far, early voting numbers are up in Franklin and Delaware counties compared to 2018. You can submit absentee ballots by mail or you can wait until Election Day. Abortion is an issue not technically on the ballot, but it is most certainly a topic that will draw people to the polls. In the four months since Roe v. Wade was overturned, 10TV's Brittany Bailey takes a look at how an already divisive issue is dividing our state even more. For every cheer about the overturning of Roe v. Wade on that historic June day, there was outrage. On June 24, 2022, the U.S. Supreme Court changed the fabric of the nation for abortion rights, overturning Roe v. Wade. The justices sent the fate of abortion back to the states, and Ohio acted quickly. The heartbeat bill, signed in 2019 but with enforcement on hold, went into effect just hours after that decision. That meant abortion in Ohio would be banned once a fetal heartbeat was detected, usually at about six weeks. Just days later, that law was being challenged in court with the claim that the heartbeat law violates the Ohio Constitution. We just hope that the Ohio Supreme Court will step in quickly to stop it. But it wasn't the Ohio Supreme Court that stepped in first. It was a Hamilton County judge. Back in September, that judge granted a 14-day restraining order against the bill. This has been uh, news that we've been waiting for. We've been holding our breath and waiting for this news. The heartbeat law was passed by our legislature, signed by our governor. It's what the people want. The question was, what would happen next? Just a few weeks later, that question was answered. The judge permanently blocked the heartbeat law, keeping abortions up to 20 weeks of pregnancy legal in our state. We will abolish abortion! Anti-abortion activists staged their first ever Ohio March for Life, and state lawmakers made it clear they don't just want a six-week abortion ban, they want a total ban. We will do everything we can to end abortion and make Ohio the most pro-life, pro-family state in the nation. But abortion rights activists are determined to keep their momentum going. I want to say they're cautiously optimistic, but we know it's not over. Brittany Bailey, 10TV News. The Ohio Supreme Court will most likely weigh in on the abortion issue in our state. Several seats are on the ballot. Here's a look at the candidates. Chief Justice is between Democrat Jennifer Bruner and the Republican challenger Sharon Kennedy. The second race is Associate Justices, two Democrats, Marilyn Zayas and Terry Jameson. Their opponents are Pat DeWine and Pat Fisher. If you need some help figuring out how and when to vote, text the word VOTE to 614-460-3345. We'll send you a link that has everything you need to know. Half the price for prescription drugs. Why a first-of-its-kind pharmacy in our state says it will never charge customers full price. The tobacco retailers are much more than just tobacco retailers in this city. Push to ban flavored tobacco in the capital city. Business owners fighting back, saying it's going too far. 
Hello, I'm Todd Markowitz, Vice President and General Manager of Radio Ohio, which owns 97.1 The Fan. We're an equal opportunity employer dedicated to providing broad outreach efforts regarding job vacancies within our company. We seek the help of local organizations in referring qualified applicants. Organizations that wish to receive our vacancy information should send their request to the attention of Human Resources, Radio Ohio, 770 Twin Rivers Drive, Columbus, 43215. If you'd like to view our current job openings, please visit our website at 971thefan.com and Thanks for listening. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Back to Tracy Townsend, courtesy of 10TV. Starting next year, minimum wage employees in Ohio will make more money. Non-tipped employees will see an 80-cent increase. Tipped employees will see a 40-cent increase. According to the White House, one in four Americans who take prescription drugs struggles to afford their medications. And the Biden administration says nearly three in 10 American adults who take prescription drugs say they skip doses, cut pills in half, or not filled prescriptions because of the cost. One central Ohio pharmacist believes he solved that problem. Kevin Landers takes us to a pharmacy where customers never pay full price. I have tons of allergies. Jeannie Illion of Pickerington says she'll never go to a traditional pharmacy again. Not after walking into the Freedom Pharmacy. Good morning. How's it going? She says it all started when her insurance wanted to charge her more than $200 for her husband's medication. She called Freedom Pharmacy for its price. You just said, ah, it's $22. You saved $200? I saved $200 the very first time I used him. Nate Huck started Freedom Pharmacy nearly two years ago out of concern, he says, of the inflated prices Big Pharma and the insurance companies were charging. We're just transparent. The price is what it is. We're we're not afraid to show everybody how much we paid. Like in the case of the arthritis drug Celebrex. The copay from the insurance came back $141. I filled the same exact prescription, same quantity, everything over here for $23. Freedom Pharmacy is the only one of its kind in Ohio, and it doesn't accept insurance, so you have to either bring cash, credit, or check. It's also only licensed in Ohio, meaning it can't ship these drugs out of state, and a majority of their drugs are generic. So why aren't there more Freedom Pharmacies across the country? The main reason why there's not more Freedom Pharmacies is because most pharmacists are scared. Scared, he says, of leaving the corporate model where buying low and selling high is incentivized. Inflating the prices of prescription drugs is a time-honored tradition. (laughs) Antonio Chacha investigates prescription drug pricing. He says drug prices change when pharmacy benefit managers, which once worked on behalf of customers for lower prices, became profiteers. Overpriced medications are being preferred by PBMs when much cheaper alternatives are sitting there collecting dust on the pharmacy shelves. Hux believes his pharmacy is a model for the rest of the country. His customers are believers. Oh, he's my angel. (laughs) Yes, yeah, it's really a godsend. It has saved tons of time and money. Kevin Landers, 10TV News. Now, it is worth mentioning anyone can go to that pharmacy regardless of their income level. Also, in Linden, the charitable pharmacy has free or reduced-cost medications. They have a location on Livingston Avenue. There's also one in Linden. Managers say about one in five Franklin County residents qualify for help. Vans do work. They do protect the health and safety of our residents. If these stores lose this source of revenue, then these stores are going to close in these neighborhoods. 
passionate arguments on all sides of yeah, the issue the of a proposed ban on flavored tobacco <laughs> products in Columbus. A packed meeting just started to scratch the surface, the conversations at that meeting, in this complicated debate. 10 TV's Brittany Bailey dug deeper into those who are impacted. We want to hear from you all. That was the message to a packed house of people wanting to share their thoughts, concerns, and criticisms on the possible ban on the sale of flavored tobacco products in the city of Columbus. This is a public health crisis in our community. Uh, And in 2020, uh, most folks um, may, may not know that the city, along with the county, declared racism to be a public health crisis. The crowd heard from the health experts. Banning menthol and flavored tobacco products is a matter of health equity here in Columbus. As a black man, I have the highest risk of dying from just about anything you can think about. And one of those things that we die from are things that are caused by tobacco. But the impact of this is not only on public health. The crowd was full of concerned business owners, some minorities themselves. I am worried about what this will mean for my employees, my customers, and me. The tobacco retailers are much more than just tobacco retailers in this city. They're corner markets. And many of the neighborhoods that these tobacco retailers are in are food deserts. We understand that we are uh, threading uh, a needle here. We know that our small businesses took a hit uh, during COVID. And that's why it's incredibly important as a member of council, along with all of my colleagues, um, that we take the time uh, to have this conversation in the community and to meet with our small business owners, as well as balancing the negative health impacts. The next public hearing is November 9th, and it's important to note that this is about regulating the product, not about criminalizing behavior. Columbus Public Health says if it passes, police would not be involved in any enforcement. Corrections officers working inside juvenile detention centers in our state say they want better training and better techniques. This comes after teenage boys barricaded themselves inside one of them and caused a lot of destruction. We have video of the dangerous incident. Columbus Perspective is a public affairs presentation of WBNS Radio. The opinions expressed on this program are those of its guests and do not necessarily reflect those of WBNS Radio, its staff, management, or sponsors. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Back to Tracy Townsend, courtesy of 10TV. This morning, calls for change inside the state's juvenile prisons. It comes after a series of incidents putting young inmates and staff at risk. The most recent happened in northern Ohio when a dozen teenage boys took control of part of a prison and set up a barricade. A 12-hour standoff ended with the teenagers being pepper sprayed and detained. Despite that, the union representing the corrections officers says they are being hampered with policies that restrict use of force. 10TV's chief investigative reporter, Bennett Haberly, uncovers the video and the track record of problems. Live streamed on Facebook, a dozen teenage boys inside the Indian River Juvenile Correctional Facility showed off for the camera, flashed candy, and documented their destruction of a room, which at one point included tipping over a desk, throwing furniture, and later a refrigerator out of a broken window. One of them showed off keys reportedly snatched from a corrections officer, which authorities allege set into motion the group breaking into the school at the correctional facility. A 
12-hour standoff ended Saturday when the officers used pepper spray to subdue and detain the teens. Already serving time for various crimes, the Department of Youth Services says the teens are expected to face additional charges. Uh, this is a pimple that's been waiting to pop for years. I spoke to Wilson Humphrey Jr., a corrections officer at one of the other facilities and a union representative for the guards. We need better techniques um, in our training. Uh, we do not have any techniques that are, allow us to strike or defend ourselves, um, and that's a hamper. Um, these youth, when they are attacking, they are attacking as like they're Mike Tyson, and we're standing there like Betty Boot, trying to you know use verbals, trying to calm them down, and it's not it's not efficient enough. Humphrey tells me guards feel hamstrung by DYS policies that limit their ability to use force only when there is an immediate threat. He says it's hurt employee retention. Current figures show there are vacancies at all three DYS facilities. But 10 investigates found some force is being used. This June inspection report shows guards used restraint holds on minors inside Indian River nearly a thousand times last year. Officers have also faced discipline. This surveillance video from the Cuyahoga DYS facility shows a guard involved in a fight with a youth. That guard was later fired. But I guess I would imagine people on the outside would look in and say, you want a policy where an adult can hit a kid? Well, um, I will say this. Uh, we have a right to defend ourselves and not just stand there and get beat on. Humphrey says when corrections officers do use force, administrators question whether it was necessary. I want people to know that the officers there are mothers, fathers, husbands, wives, daughters, and sons, just like the ones who are in our care. Um, we are not heinous in our jobs, what we do. We're not abusive. But at some point, this this behavior has to stop. We are told staff turnover with guards is not the only issue. That same June inspection report Bennett referenced shows this summer Indian River was short one social worker and had no psychologists on staff. In response to this incident, DYS says it's working to recruit more officers, offering additional pay, and will install body cameras for the guards. We'll keep asking those tough questions and keep you posted. In the meantime, thank you so much for joining us here today on Face the State. Have a great week. That's again Tracy Townsend, courtesy of our sister station, WBNS 10 TV, from their Sunday morning public affairs program, Face the State. Here's Tracy with information about what you can see this morning at 1130 on Face the State on 10 TV. Coming up on Face the State, Decision 2022, the final push in the big races with implications for the balance of power in Congress. But it's also said that all politics is local. So we are giving you a look at issues that matter right here at home and a nod to what happens when women take the lead in business, education and health care. They achieve, succeed and earn a special spotlight in Columbus. We'll show you why it matters today at 1130 on Face the State. So many times, the lack of basic needs gets in the way of our students. Neighborhood Bridges, a local nonprofit, has developed a way to get school kids basic necessities. Visit NeighborhoodBridges.org to make a difference in our student lives. Find your community and subscribe. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Here's Kate Burdett. 
Today I'm joined by Adaro Robinson. He is the executive director for City Year. And also Kendra Penn is with us. She is City Year's community partnership manager. Hi, Kate. How are you doing? Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you. It's a pleasure. To start, can you give us kind of an overview of, I know a lot of people have heard of City Year or maybe it's been a while, but kind of give us an overview of what what the organization does. Absolutely. So City Year Columbus is an education nonprofit organization that's part of AmeriCorps that employs young people uh, between the ages of 18 and 25 to do a year of service in their community, specifically here in Columbus, to uh, serve a year working uh, in partnership with Columbus City Schools, working with students uh, who need additional support in the classroom as relates to academics, uh, social emotional development and uh, attendance and just whole school support. Uh, for many of the schools that we partner with, uh, with Columbus City Schools. So you really have an educational focus and with, I'm sure you are hearing all the news stories as well about how students are falling behind because of the pandemic or there aren't enough teachers. Kendra, it sounds like this is a crucial role for young people to play right now. Most definitely. And uh, I was able and fortunately enough, I'm an alumni of City Year Columbus. So I served as the pandemic was happening, boots on the ground. I was uh, serving at Mifflin High School at the time. And it was such a, a an interesting experience because we had gotten the opportunity to really go into the school to be able to build these relationships on the ground with students. And I remember thinking at that point in March, you know, they were talking about, don't think about this, don't worry about it. We were only going to close the schools for a week and we were all going to come back. Remember <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah, it's funny yeah. thinking about that uh, in retrospect. And so we really did have to do this incredible shift and this incredible change to our model of bringing service to our students of what that was going to look like in the pandemic from both uh, a virtual and an in-person space. And that was just, it was such a fascinating shift, but it was really meaningful, good, hard work. And so I totally agree. This is such an important space to be as a young person because it does actually feel like you're able to have an effect on your community around you. And that's something you can see. What was it that drew you to the City Year experience as an alum now? What can you tell us, Kendra, about being that young person that says, I think I want to try this? Um, I think historically, a lot of our city or core members have looked like uh, people who were in the state that I was in. So I was graduating from college. I'm an alumni of Ohio State. And I was hitting that quarter life crisis that most people have in their early 20s where they're graduating from college. The, the list of like correct steps in front of you has sort of gone away. And you're really thinking, what do I do next now that I have this piece of paper and it's great and it's official, but, but what does that actually mean sort of in practice? And so... I just trolling through college fairs, being out and about, sat down and I chatted with a severe recruiter and it was really just the most amazing and perfect fit. You know, I ended up uh, needing to be able to move home. My grandfather was sick and I was helping to take care of him. And so this was just the perfect opportunity for me to be able to kind of have that next step of here is sort of like your first real job to be able to gain that professional experience. You know, we do a lot of professional development from doing little things of like, here's your Outlook calendar and here's how to respond to your emails promptly to being able to do some, you know, really amazing professional development and leadership trainings, uh, as well as being able to work in education and being able to work with the students. You know, when I was graduating, I had no desire to be uh, a teacher. I graduated as a Spanish major and I was like, or I wasn't going to (laughs) teach. And so I uh, knew that kind of going in and I was still able to be 
really successful. I think one of the best parts about this program is it does provide a lot of these supports and a lot of these abilities for you. You know, we teach you how to write lesson plans. We teach you, you know, a little bit more about our pedagogy and how we're working with students, not only in an academic sense, like Adara said, but along those social emotional guidelines and how we're really showing up for the students in that space. And I think that's one of the most important things that we do is we are providing another young adult that our students can see and hopefully identify with to be able to be there in the classroom. They are that extra person to maybe see when our students start backsliding or if they disengage or, you know, even like you said, with class sizes being so large in Columbus City and the pandemic really having such a a large hindrance on what our students are able to take away from that, just having that extra person to be able to individuate lessons or even to be able to just explain something in a different way that a child might not necessarily be getting just from their primary teacher or some of the other adults that they have in their life is huge. And that kind of, you, you really did answer this question, but I was going to ask you, Adaro, um, does, does a college student, a young person who's considering working with City Year have to have that background of uh, you know, at least desiring to be a teacher, it, it doesn't sound like it. No, not necessarily. And as Kendra stated, she's an alum. I'm also a City or Columbus alum, albeit well, quite some time ago. But I was in the same situation. I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. I knew I wanted to do some sort of service oriented activity. And I came across City Year. But many of our AmeriCorps members, uh, many of them do have a desire to be teachers. Some desire to go into nonprofit. Uh, others are, they know exactly what they want to do. They may be ready for grad school, law school. We've had some take this as a gap year before they decide to go on to medical school or to another opportunity. And then others, this is an opportunity to explore how they're going to provide service to young people, provide service to their respective communities. And then also, as Kendra mentioned, we do have a robust uh, professional development program and a leadership after city years module that helps some of our young folks right out of college sort of figure out, okay, how do I become a better networker? Or I have, you know, we have a mentoring program, professional mentoring for uh, many of our AmeriCorps members, uh, how to do an interview, um, how to write a professional resume, how to search for those opportunities that maybe you were a Spanish major, now you come in the city or now maybe you want to get back into nonprofit or advocacy or child psychology. So it's a, a myriad of things that a young person can do coming right out of college. And, and that said, what do you look for and what kind of requirements are there for a candidate that you're considering to join your ranks? to firstly dispel the myth and I think a lot of the times it gets confused that like City Year is only for college graduates. We are actually open, like Adriano said, for uh, people who are ages 18 to 25. So one of the things that we're looking forward uh, looking to going forward is being able to recruit a lot more people coming who are graduating fresh out of high school. So really what we're looking for is not necessarily any of those skills because we can teach you, but we are looking for people who are dedicated to being able to serve their community, who recognize that, you know, educational inequity is a real problem and it's something that does affect every single one of us in all parts of this nation and that's something that they want to be able to do to help and they're going to be you know invited and welcomed into such an incredible community of people who are really invested in being able to see you succeed you know not only with this program but uh with your other aspirations outside of it you know i didn't see myself working in nonprofit at all i definitely did not know at the time when i was graduating from 
in this program that I would even come back to work at City or Columbus. As long as you are somebody that is dedicated and willing to put in the hard work, and I cannot lie to you, is one of the hardest things um, I have ever done in my entire life. Like you work crazy long hours and working in a school definitely can be um, tough sometimes, but uh, it was definitely such an incredible experience. You get to be able to meet so many wonderful people who are there and who are willing to help you and who want to see you succeed, that it's so worth it. Kendra Penn and Adaro Robinson are with City Year Columbus. There's also City Year Cleveland. These are programs of AmeriCorps, and you touched on it, Kendra, but I was about to ask you, Adara, what type of a time commitment? Is this full-time work for the the young people who join your program, or is it kind of variable? What is What does that look like? Yes, correct. It is a full-time program. Uh, our member, AmeriCorps members, they start training. We have pre-service training, which we call our basic training academy, uh, right before school starts. And then um, when, the, when school starts with Columbus City Schools, uh, they are deployed into teams, uh, into select schools schools that we partner with the district and um, they work a full day. So it's really from bell to bell. Uh, We uh, span the ages of the grades, excuse me, from third grade to ninth grade. So elementary, middle and high. And our core members are there before the students arrive and they're there after the students leave. Uh, And they serve a full school year. So from September and then they graduate from the city year program in June. And part of their AmeriCorps requirements is they have to serve 1,700 hours. So over that span of 10 months, they um, serve 1,700 hours. And then they're eligible for an education award that through the government and through AmeriCorps as a result of serving in city year, which you could use towards paying back student loans, which is what I used it for, or for continuing education in the field of your choosing. But one of the other really nice things about it is that City Year has such an amazing uh, wide number of partnerships with universities across the United States. So from anything from being able to have some application fee wave to being able to like get bumped to like first rounds of interviews uh, in all sorts of areas of study, not just education, like Adara mentioned. So this is really like money that you can use anywhere and you can use it very flexibly. A lot of these colleges and um, we even have uh, a series of companies that uh, work and partner with us that intend to. Uh, hire AmeriCorps members. Kendra, you could also share that our AmeriCorps members also receive a stipend uh, during oh, yes. their, their year as well. So they are paid. <laughs> the, stipend, the, stipend, the stipend, it's really called the stipend just for uh, for tax reasons, but the stipend is so, 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 so much better <laughs> than it was when I was doing AmeriCorps. So from the, the monetary uh, award and rewards to the connections you can make and the doors that can be opened for a young professional to just simply the experience of giving back to your community, of, of working with young people who need desperately role models and, and direction, it, it sounds like an amazing opportunity for those who are listening that would like to get involved. How can they do that? Absolutely. So uh, Kendra, she works with our recruitment team. She is our community partnership manager. Um, but you can also connect at our website, cityyear.org slash Columbus. And you can go on there and learn more about the impact that we're having, can see some of our data because we're a very data centric organization. You can look at our impact report. You can see the schools in which we're serving. You can get an idea of what a, the day in the life of an AmeriCorps member looks like. And you can also link to our application and and uh, learn how you can actually apply uh, to the program. And there's, we have a whole bank of recruiters uh, and admissions folk that can work with young people and getting uh, themselves signed up to serve with us. 
We're also available on social media. We've got Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. We're usually at a city or CBIS. So if you're looking for a little bit more of, you know, some of the things that our core members do, we try to have like team takeovers on Instagram. That's something that we've done. And so you want to maybe see a little bit more of that perspective from the people that serve. City Year is doing great things in schools in Columbus and other parts of Ohio. A, a part of AmeriCorps and Kendra Penn and Adaro Robinson. Is there anything else that you need for us to know? Yeah, I would just share that you're working with these students in the schools, but the students are also impacting you. So it's a life changing experience. And I encourage anyone who wants to have that t- sort of experience to check out what City or Columbus offers. Well, thank you both so much. I know you have a lot going on. I'll let you get back to it, but we really appreciate you being with us today. This has been Columbus Perspective, a weekly public affairs presentation of The Fan, heard each Sunday morning at 6 on WBNS AM. That's 1460 ESPN Columbus. And Sunday morning at 7 on WBNS FM. Sports Radio 97.1 The Fan. Join us again next Sunday for Columbus Perspective.